and welcome to the deep end with Hamed and Mo. I am your co-host, Hamed. Joining me is my fantastic lifelong friend and great Nova Sports, Mo. Hey everyone, how's everyone doing today? Ready to talk a lot of sports, a lot of things happening in soccer, especially soccer this week and weekend, and hopefully get to some NBA playoffs. Uh, a lot of spicy topics to get to, so let's hit it. Those of you who are listening to us for the first time, we appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, I do say that this is episode one, but this is not our first episode. We did record an episode zero as a trial run. Um, there were a lot of, you know, learning experiences, you know, taking it as we go along. We're not exactly sure if we're going to release episode one, uh, unless you guys obviously uh, request it. The only things that we basically talked about were the first round of the playoffs, or the NBA playoffs, uh, which are now over. We talked about the Champions League final, our opinions on it, and we talked about a few uh, transfers in the world of soccer, or football for those of you listening in Europe. Uh, we talked about Sergio Aguero, uh, Gini Vinaldum, who uh, actually is not signing with Barcelona as we expected. He's actually going to sign with Paris Saint-Germain. And... Um, he has a contract up until 2024, I believe. <clears throat> yeah, so he, what happened with him was kind of like karma for what we did with Malcolm a few years ago, how we, how we kind of stole him too. So honestly, being a Barca fan, I wasn't, I wasn't too upset. I mean, I don't know if this is really a hot take, but he he's a good player but i just don't think he really fits what we need at the moment and we'll get to that later he played fantastic in the in the game today uh the netherlands and ukraine game today played really well but i just don't think he fits the mold of barca i think it's just more like a ronald coman thing he's just trying to get all the players that he really knows how to like mesh together like frankie de Jong, uh genie wijnaldum and ultimately memphis Depay is also on the list yeah um yeah. But I don't know. I just really don't feel like he was what we needed. He's a good player and everything, but to me personally, I'm not too upset about what happened. I, I totally get uh, what you mean. I also agree when it comes to the karma butt. Um, for those of you who don't know, I think it was three years ago, there was a player called Malcolm. He was signed from a Russian club. Um, he was supposed to be signing with AS Roma, a club in the Serie A, which is the Italian league of uh, football. And he was on his way to the medical because every player has to go through a medical before he signs. And Barcelona representatives met him at the airport in Rome and convinced him to basically back out of his verbal agreement with uh, AS Roma and he signed with Barcelona. It did not end that well. Malcolm only played, I think, maybe 11 games that year. And then he was sold to a club back in Russia. Uh, I think it was 18 months uh, after, after he signed with Barcelona. So to have it happen to Barcelona is basically the karma bet. You know, signing a good player. He might not be a player that fits uh, the mold of Barcelona or how they play. I definitely agree he is a Komen pick. Because, you know, for those of you who don't know, Ronald Koeman, the current Barcelona coach, was the coach of the Netherlands. So he's just trying to get all his favorite players onto the pitch for a familiarity uh, point. You know, like like Mo mentioned, he already has Frankie de Jong. He wanted to send Gini Vinaldum. 
He is currently in the closing stages of signing Memphis Depay, who is going to be fantastic, by the way. Um, not to go off topic too much, but yes, that is basically what we talked about in uh, episode zero. Again, if you guys would like to listen to it, please just let us know in the comments, or if you guys know us personally, you're very welcome to request it. Uh, let's let's get into this. Uh, currently, the Euro 2020 playoffs are underway. Uh, it is called the Euro 2020 because it was supposed to be played in 2020, but obviously because of the pandemic, everything was pushed back. So they really wanted to stick with the whole 2020 theme. I'm not sure why. It is currently underway. There have been a couple games that have been played, and a lot of them have been pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely, man. It's been it's been a great game. Great games have been played. And can I just say something just first off? The fans, just having fans back in the arena, bro, it's like it's you don't know what you have till it's gone, essentially. And Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we as football fans and soccer fans, whatever, we rely so much on the fans. They create so much of the atmosphere. They contribute to so much of why we love the game. And it's just like having them back in the in the in the stands is amazing and just hearing the boos hearing the cheers whatever it is just the atmosphere is just man it was it, it was amazing but um let's jump into it uh first game turkey and italy opener something interesting about this um kind of a sidebar something interesting about this tournament um i think it's like the 60th anniversary of the of the euro so wow. So uh, Michelle Platini, the the head the head of the UEFA, essentially, he thought of this idea that it would be played in like different um, different arenas, essentially, not just like one steady country. Right. And I feel like I like it, but it's it's kind of unfair, man. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll kind of dive into that real quick. I feel like there are some teams like Italy, for instance, they're playing all their group games in the uh, Stadio Olimpico in Rome um same same with uh holland they're playing all their games in the johan Cruyff arena amsterdam england i believe england is the same thing they're playing everything in wembley so i don't know i feel like it's it's good but at the same time i feel like it's really it's really not fair to the other teams i feel because they kind of get the pride of that like home field home field stuff so i don't know i just want to get your take on that real quick before we jump into uh, no i i definitely agree uh, it's not fair specifically to the lesser teams of the tournament. I am not trying to put down any teams, but you do have big teams of the tournament. Teams such as, obviously, Portugal, France, Germany, England. These kind of teams, they'll get home advantage. And it is unfair because we have other teams, other teams that are not as well-known. We're talking right. about teams such as Austria. We're talking about teams such as the Ukraine. We're talking about teams such as North Macedonia, who are in their first official tournament uh, in the country's history. Those people won't get time or fans in their own stadium because, again, their countries are not as well developed uh, compared to the other like superpowers of the of the Euros. And uh, I totally agree. First off, I do love seeing the fans back. It is truly a breath of fresh air um, to see them back in the in the arenas. Uh, but no, I totally agree. I uh, I understand why though. I do know that it was like it was it was planned as a celebration of the Euros, mm-hmm. you know, having it in like other countries and stuff like that. But again, if you have mm-hmm. to pick a host country, you have to also make sure that host country does not have any like like a lot of COVID cases because you're going to have like a very big influx of tourists 
come again to that one specific country. So sure. it would have been a little bit dangerous. You don't want to shut down the Euros because you have it in one country. I'm, I'm, I, like, I agree to have it in several different countries, but at least be fair with the distributions. Don't let a team have home field advantage. I, I yeah. thought that should have been fair. You know, don't let England play in Wembley. Don't let Italy play in, you know, Stadio Olimpico of Rome. That's, that's not fair because, like, to the home squad, it is literally just like a train ride or a car ride or whatever it is away. It's very right, close. And got, yeah, and they got all their supporters. Like, they get the, the most, the majority of people going there will be their supporters, Italian supporters. Absolutely. Whereas, Absolutely. whereas in, like, a neutral venue, you'd have maybe close to, like, a nice even split of supporters for both teams so absolutely and then again when you have teams like turkey if we're going to talk about the specific game between italy and turkey i'm Mm -hmm. positive that there are a lot more italian fans in the stadium compared to turkish fans because one um obviously the distance second you're not going to have a lot of turkish people traveling i understand there are a lot of ultras a lot of diehard fans that were that are willing to travel but at the same time, when it comes to visas and traveling and, you know, financial situations, you know, it's not as easy for other countries that are less known at the tournament. Of course, of course. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the things. I mean, I get it. They want to celebrate uh, this great tournament. And it's been a while since we've, we've been deprived from major tournaments for a while. So, no, I mean, I get it. But at the same time, I just feel like it could have been, it could have been done a little better for the, for, for the smaller teams, at least, that, that their, fans, their fans want to see them too. But um, anyway, we can, let's just jump right in just so we don't take up too much time. Um, so opening game, Turkey and Italy. Um, I mean, from the get-go, no offense to, to Turkey, but they really had no chance. It was, it was just one of those games where Italy kind of imposed Imposed themselves on um, on Turkey, and they were they had they had possession. The first like fifteen or so minutes, they were kind of like both feeling each other out. Like you know, it was there was some nerves. It was it was opening game, first game with fans, all that stuff. Um, it was it was a good game though. And uh, interesting thing about Italy, ever since Mancini took over as coach, they haven't lost a game, and they have continued that um, without big names. That's something to take over too. You have you oh, have yeah. a few good names in there, but like if we're gonna talk about the bulk of the team, there aren't like superstars on that team. There are players who are maybe a little bit past their prime, but you don't have actual like genuine superstars on the team as of now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. And they're mostly like um, domestic players. They mostly all play in like the Serie A in Italy, so they're 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 very like homegrown and domestic. Um, so game finished three nil, uh, Italy. First goal was kind of an own goal, but it was it was bound to happen. Italy was knocking on the door for a while. It was it was they were they were pressuring pretty hard. Yeah, it was it was bound to happen sometime. It just happened to be own goal. Chiro Mobile, sixty six minute, um, kind of a rebound goal. Um, goalkeeper kind of saved it, but it was right in front of him, and um, he just tapped it in, kind of. And then Insignia's goal was that was that was a really nice goal. He kind of just. Curled it in, and in the corner with the uh, inside of his foot or uh, outside of his foot. Sorry, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a very nice goal. So, um, some stats though that kind of stood out at me was the shots. Shots was. Yeah, um, I noticed that too. Yeah, it was. It was a huge disparity. Italy had twenty four shots, albeit eight of them were on target. But Italy still were able to get off twenty four shots, while Turkey <laughs> was only able to get off three with none of them being on target um 
So that's kind of like the glaring stat that stood out at me from that game. But I mean, other than that, it was just it was just domination by Italy and uh, Turkey was Turkey was a lesser team. But um, yeah, I think they have some stuff to work on for sure. I don't know if it was absolutely. Just, I don't know if it was just jitters of opening game or what. But you got to give a lot a lot of credit to the Italians and coming out and right. being real strong. No, no, you could definitely tell the Turkish players were they definitely had a case of the nerves. Uh, especially, like I said, the first goal was an own goal by Dimeral, who was actually a Serie A player, so technically all the players mm. that scored in this game play, play in the Italian league. And like you mentioned, the disparity between the shots is, was absolutely ridiculous. We're talking 24 versus 3, and uh, possession-wise, uh, Italy had 64% possession. You would think that maybe these teams, because they haven't been training for too long together, there would be like a little bit of a, a chemistry issue, maybe compared to like how they play in their normal clubs and their domestic leagues. But no, Italy looked like a good squad. Like I could definitely see Italy becoming a dark horse, a dark horse in this tournament if they can continue like this. And and I'm not trying to put down Turkey or anything like that. They're a fantastic squad with a lot of great players, especially their striker, who is uh, a pretty much the sole reason that Lil won the. Um, the, the the French league this year and not PSG, mm. which is definitely a surprise. Um, another thing that stood out to me in this game with, between Italy and Turkey were the passes. Uh, Turkey only had 360 passes compared to Italy's 616, so we're basically talking almost double. Right. Um, yeah, that's, so that's, that's, that's definitely story. something. Turkey, Turkey, Turkey definitely looked like it was like a deer in headlights out there. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they can you know get back up and uh, try to make something out of the group stage. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they made it out of the group stage because you know they genuinely have an easy group, I guess. But no, I could de- I definitely think that Turkey needs to regroup and you know go back to the drawing board because whatever they tried in game one honestly just did not work out. Yeah, and also one last thing, um, Italy, if you remember, didn't qualify for the last World Cup, so they kind of have like this like revenge season vibe to them. You know, they're like, okay, we we did we we didn't qualify for the last major tournament, but we're gonna make sure that you know you guys see us and you guys see what we're about in this tournament. And I feel like they're they're probably gonna make some noise, like you said. Yeah, I could definitely yeah, like I said, I could definitely see them as a dark horse. But only if they continue getting consistent results like this. I'm not sure how it's going to go for the rest of the group stage. Because there are a lot of, like, super-powered teams in this tournament. We're talking, obviously, like, the Frances, the Englands, the the Portugals of the world. Belgium, obviously. Um, but I could definitely see Italy being up there with them if they can be consistent. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they just got to keep it going and keep the momentum, and I think they should be fine. Absolutely. All right, we're going to jump into the second game, uh, which was between Switzerland and Wales. Uh, that game ended off in a tie, uh, 1-1. Um, I remember watching this game, and I do remember that Switzerland actually had scored a goal in, I think, the 84th minute, the 85th minute, I believe. And it was unfortunately waved off due to uh, VAR. Um, it was rightfully, by the way, it was rightfully waved off. It should not have been a goal. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was an offside kind of uh, check. Uh, but uh, Wales uh, had a really good game, uh, despite you know not having a lot of big name players in the squad. You know they did well. And Switzerland, obviously, they have a few you know good players on that team, namely Shakiri, who has written an interesting stat about him 
Shakiri has been involved in, I believe, half of Switzerland's goals when he's actually on the pitch, which is fantastic. You know, knowing Shakiri, he's not like a top ten player when you think about like the you know the genuine superstars of the world. But no. when he plays for country, he he definitely does all he like he does all he he can. He's he's a fantastic player for Switzerland. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, this game for me wasn't the most exciting game um, of the ter- of the tournament for sure. But um, what I what I did like in this game was I felt like it was it was very balanced. Kind of both teams were just going back and forth. It wasn't like one team was dominating the whole time and like the other team kind of just like sneaks up. I feel like it was both teams are evenly matched. I would say. And uh, Wales, we can't sleep on Wales. I mean, I feel like they don't really squad is uh it's a little different than their 2016 when they made it to the semifinals of the euro in uh in 2016 it's a little different but um you know you got you still got gareth bale uh hal robson canu um you know those guys but yeah this this, this game was okay it was kind of like a feel-out game i feel right right you know not much to go into on that game it was a simple one one uh both teams looked evenly matched Switzerland almost got the best of them, but again, due to VAR, uh, hmm. pretty sure it was an offside. You know, that that just didn't end well for them, I guess. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully Switzerland gets it back together because they are expected to come out of their group. And it would be a pretty big disappointment if they didn't. Uh, moving on to the next game, and this one was uh, definitely, definitely the most meaningful game of the tournament. Uh, we're talking about the Denmark, Denmark and Finland game. And uh, unfortunately, it isn't meaningful in the way that you would think. Um, Because we had a really scary experience uh, on the pitch. I believe it was in the 41st or the 42nd minute when the Denmark captain, uh, Christian Eriksen, who is a former Tottenham player uh, in the Premier League and moved to Inter, where he recently just won the uh, Italian League title, uh, collapsed on the pitch. Uh, it is now confirmed that he had a cardiac arrest. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, 41st, 42nd minute. No one was next to him. There was no contact. Uh, it was a non-contact injury, but man, just he just collapsed on the field. It was a very scary moment. You had players running. You had players gathered around him. You had his teammates crying because you don't know if this guy is going to make it. You have actual doctors performing yeah. CPR, and they, they, pull, they pulled out the defibrillator. The, the, the 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 defibrillator, I think, mm-hmm. and um, again, very scary moment. I was actually watching the game, and it was genuinely one of the worst things that I've seen in sports. I've seen a lot of injuries in sports, but this was definitely something that shook me to my core. Um, thank God uh, we got an update. I think it was, I believe, it was two hours after the game. That he's fine, he's awake, and the teams both requested to restart the game, I believe, two hours after it finished. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I thought that Denmark would get it done, you know, for their captain, the guy that just went down. But uh, unfortunately, they didn't. They lost 1-0 to Finland, who put on a great performance. Uh, The fans were fantastic. They were cheering Christine Eriksson's name, both the Denmark fans and the Finland fans. It was a really, really heartwarming moment to see on the field. Um, but yeah, man, like I said, very scary moment. We're very glad that he's okay. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what, what are your takes on this game? Uh, so yeah, like you said, um, it, was, it was a very scary moment. I had everyone up. Um, everyone was worried. I've never, I've, I, I don't remember the last time I've seen 
fans of both both teams and both sets of players very very worried about a player and it was it was extremely scary because i mean he he we could have lost him you know he was he was essentially gone for however long he was until they performed cpr and got him stable um but uh one one thing i did like was um denmark uh one of their defenders uh simon kier he's a ac milan player um he actually got him in a good position so he didn't swallow his tongue and that could have been very very disastrous right there he acted very quickly and he uh went over and kind of like talked to his wife talked to christian erickson's wife and he kind of like reassured her and said like it's going to be okay don't worry like we're all here with you and he he was very reassuring i just i just felt that was very wholesome very very heartwarming um for a player just to see how how much a player player cares about his his own teammate and it was just awesome to see and another thing just besides the game i'm not, i'm not even going to really go into the game just because it was it was it was re- almost tragic um what happened but uh when um the scorer for finland um i can't even pronounce his name but po pojan palo pojan palo um he scored he didn't even celebrate which was i thought was very classy that he chose not to even celebrate even though he scored the biggest goal in his country's entire history of football um for, first goal at a major tournament and first win for them ever at a major tournament um I thought that was just very classy of him that he didn't celebrate. And it just, uh, yeah, like I said, very heartwarming, very wholesome to see uh, players coming together like that. It was definitely bigger than the game, for sure, which was really good to see. Absolutely. And if we're going to talk about classy moves, we had a bunch of his teammates and a bunch of his uh, friends, uh, both outside of football and inside of football. They celebrated in a way. Um, we're talking about maybe Hyung Ming Sun, who is his former teammate at Tottenham. Uh, he had a game today uh, because he plays for South Korea. We're obviously mm-hmm. not in the Euros for geographical reasons. Um, when he scored today, he put up both the like he put two fingers up on each hand, signaling you know Christian Eriksen's jersey number. Uh, same thing with Rom- Romelu Lukaku, who played with uh, Belgium uh, yeah. in their game against uh, Russia, I believe. And uh, a lot of his teammates, former and co- both current teammates, both celebrated uh, with that same exact celebration. Very classy stuff. It's it's very reassuring to know that in a sport that is very competitive, that you have teammates and players, you know, players that don't necessarily play with each other anymore, still look out for each other. It's very heartwarming to see, and it kind of reminds us that, you know, not sports is, is a very important part of our lives, but it isn't everything. There are, there, there's, it's bigger than sports. That's, that's basically oh. the message that they were trying to get across. Of course, and um, kind of transition here. Then now you mentioned Romelu Lukaku, which is the next game we were actually going to talk about. So we can just dive right in. Um, Belgium three, uh, Russia nil. Uh, Belgium. A lot of people know. Any football fan knows they're one of the big dogs in this tournament. Uh, they're one absolutely. of the best teams. They're absolutely just stacked wherever you look. Um, I mean, and and this game was was kind of like a they they kind of bullied Russia to be honest. Russia did were semifinalists in the World Cup, albeit it was played in their ground, but still they were semifinalists nonetheless. Um, I feel like yeah, I feel like this game was 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 just kind of one of those games where you knew that um, they kind of it was just pure force from Belgium. Lukaku uh, scoring the first goal ten minutes in. Um, one on one with the keeper, kind of slides it in, um, and then Thomas uh, Munier, the 
he scored at the 34th minute. And then Lukaku again, 88th minute. I think Lukaku has potential to probably be the top scorer in this tournament. We're still obviously waiting to see what the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo do as far as goal scoring and uh, Robert Lewandowski, uh, what they do as far as goal scoring goes. But um, yeah, man, I just feel like uh, Belgium, they're one of those teams that any team that faces them is in for a long battle because, I mean, you look at it, you look at what they have, it's just striking they have Lukaku uh midfield they got they they got people like Tielemans who's I feel like is very underrated uh Leicester City midfielder he's a controlling midfielder very good player uh Dries Mertens also really good uh Yannick uh Ferreira Carrasco Atletico Madrid guy um very good developing players I mean obviously Courtois goal that's that's very hard to get <laughs> to get very past. Solid. As well. That's very solid. You're also uh, there's also worth mentioning Eden Hazard. I know that he's not everyone's top player these days because of the injury issues, and I totally understand. But Eden Hazard on his on a good day, that guy is one of the best players in the world. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he gets back to form because so far he's been very disappointing since he left Chelsea. Uh, you yeah. also have Axel Witzel, who is a fantastic holding midfield player. He's honestly very underrated. I honestly don't understand why he's not getting more calls from teams. I understand it could be maybe age related because you know both midfielders basically do most of the work compared to strikers and defenders because they do a little bit of everything. And you know mm-hmm. when you get up there in age you're not as valuable as you once were, but man, it is crazy to think that Axel Witzel is Yes, he's currently on Borussia Dortmund, and I understand they're a fantastic team. But before that, he was playing in China. You know, I mean, a player like that should not be playing in China. It's just, you know, just a little side note over there. But like I said, no, I definitely agree with you. They're one of the superpowers of the tournament. They definitely, definitely bullied Russia. It was a very convincing score of three to nothing. Uh, Could have been more even. Uh, Belgium's Achilles heel is probably their defense. They have a lot of aging players on that defense. Uh, Vermeilen, uh, Vertonghen, and uh, Alderweireld. They're all... They were really good players back in the day, baby, but, you know, they're they're mostly getting up there in age. Uh, so they've become a little bit slower, a little bit, you know, less slow on reaction time, I guess. Um, hmm. But again, you know, once... You know, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, Belgian defenders out there that are ready to take their spots you know maybe not this tournament maybe the world cup maybe or the next euros but belgium belgium has a very solid squad belgium has definitely potential to take this whole thing absolutely yeah i I definitely agree with that and then also we're going to segue kind of into another team that has the potential in winning it all our next game that was uh, played today actually sunday we're recording this on sunday game was played today uh england and croatia England won, Croatia nil. Um, this was this was a little bit of a weird game. England had its chances. Um, they hit the crossbar once. Um, Mason Mount had a free kick, kind of drift over. It was very close. Harry Kane had a chance at the end, um, but the defender kind of got in front of him and uh, denied him the goal. But uh, ultimately, Raheem Sterling's goal was a difference. Um, One nil. Um, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's kind of what we expected, but I don't know, maybe, I feel like I expected more. I know Croatia's a good team, but um, honestly, they didn't really show much resistance this game, and they didn't really have many attacking opportunities from what I saw. 
in the game. They just didn't really seem too convincing to me. And I expected more from England, but um, I have one question for you, man. Uh, is it coming home? Do you believe that it's coming home? Um, I wish it would, honestly. I am, uh, for those of you who don't know, I watch a lot of Premier League games, which is basically the English League. Um, I'm a very big fan of the, t- of the league. I honestly think it's the best league in the world. Uh, I really love England squad, but unfortunately, I don't think it's coming home. I do not. I don't think that England can win unless somehow Portugal and France and maybe even Germany get eliminated. I don't see England winning a game against France with all the power they have. Um, I don't see them winning against Portugal. Portugal, that yes, England has a more stacked squad uh, compared to Portugal. But at the same time, when Cristiano Ronaldo is feeling it, there's literally no stopping the dude, no matter what age he is. He is one of the premier players in the world, even at the age that he's at. Um, and there's another very interesting thing. Yes, England is very stacked. Yes, they have a lot of really good players. We're talking about players such as Harry Kane, Jadon Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Mason Mount, Declan Rice, Phil Foden. A lot of fantastic players. Insane, I have an issue. Yeah. It is. It, they're, they're very stacked. I have an issue with the coach, Gareth Southgate. I just think that guy has zero tactics whatsoever. And this game proves it. I understand that this was a very crucial game for England because they're in a very stacked um, group. Mm-hmm. And this is basically a rematch, I think, I believe, of the semifinals because England did reach the semifinals in the World Cup, correct? Correct. Yep, this is a right. rematch. So this, this was a rematch of the semifinals, and I know that England wanted to win it very bad. But before the game, when I was checking out the lineups, I noticed that Gareth didn't include Jadon Sancho and Ben Chilwell in the squad. Uh, it's rumored that Jadon Sancho still has a very complicated contract issue. He's probably on his way to Manchester United. No one's for sure yet. I believe that there was maybe that was part of the reason he was held back from the squad today. But I have literally no idea why he failed to include his only left back on the squad. His only true left back. There's another left back uh, in Luke Shaw on the team. And I think he's a fantastic player, but Ben Chilwell is a, like miles better than him. So when I saw that Ben Chilwell wasn't going to be included in the squad, I thought, okay, you know, he was going to go with Luke Shaw this first game. Maybe he wants like a little, someone with like a little more defensive prowess kind of thing. To my surprise, he starts Kieran Trippier on the left wing, or I mean, on the le- uh, in the left back position, and and Trippier plays right back, strictly right back. I'm not sure what he was going for there. I think he was going maybe for like the, when I try to understand the logic, mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe he wanted to go for like more of a speedy fullback kind of thing because you know Trippier he loves to run up front, he loves to join the attack. Same with his, you know, his right back partner in Kyle Walker, um, current Manchester City uh, fullback, and uh, that's that's the only thing that I could make sense of. But again, it makes no sense why you would include a right back at your starting left back center and and leave a perfectly healthy Ben Chilwell. He he wasn't even on the bench; like he was literally held back from the mm-hmm. entire squad, bench included. It was hmm. very confusing. It was very confusing, and mm-hmm. and I don't know. What Gareth was th- was thinking, like I said, England has a very stacked squad. I just don't believe that Gareth Southgate is the guy 
to really bring football home or really bring the title home, as they say. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm looking at it. I think it see. I think it looked like today, if I'm reading it correctly. I think he started Kyle Walker at left back because it says the um, the back four was Kyle Walker, John Stones, Tyrone Ming, Kieran Trippier at right. So I believe Unless maybe he's Kyle Walker also doesn't play left back. It's still the same yeah. Yeah, so I I don't know, and also another thing I did have a problem with his with his lineup, but it was more of like um, I get it. Declan Rice is good; he's he's a very good player. I like him. Um, I I, I would have liked to see Jack Grealish, to be honest. Absolutely. Uh, in, in in that pairing with Mason, one Mount of the best players and... on that squad. One of the best players on the on that squad for sure. Yeah, that's that's probably the only complaint I had though for that. I would have liked to see him and Mason Mount kind of mesh together and see what how they play. But uh, the the insertion of Phillips though today was good because he kind of did create that uh, uh, Sterling goal. So I feel like that was probably a good thing that Gareth uh, Southgate did. But yeah, like I said, he does have he does have some work to do. And I mean, they were they were they were decent in the World Cup uh, under him. But again, um, the, with the team they have on paper, these guys should be going to finals and winning them of every major tournament with the stacked lineup these guys have. I mean, their benches, even their benches, just scary. Like it's 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 ridiculous. So when you have a team that's that sacked and you're not getting results, I mean, you, you got to kind of point the finger at the coach. Exactly. I, uh, if England doesn't at least reach the final in this tournament, I am definitely going to blame uh, the manager before any other players do because it's on him to pick the right players, and he's picked a very stacked squad. But again, it translates to what you do on the pitch. Jack Grealish not playing today was was baffling, even potentially even more than the whole Ben Chilwell situation because Jack Grealish is proving to be one of England's best players, both regardless of where you put him in. The dude can play midfield, the guy can play at left wing, the guy could play at striker, he could play anything that he wants when it comes to basically like on the attacking side of the pitch, and for him to not play is truly confusing. Uh, not to you know put some disrespect on any other players' names, but this this guy, he's basically a newbie on the squad. And while he did play fantastic today, he was basically a very vital um, part of Raheem Sterling's goal. But again, if we're talking about a team that is potentially the most stacked squad on that tournament, maybe next to France, not playing Jack Raylich is a big question mark. And again, like I was saying, this all comes back to the manager. If England do not bring the title home... I'm telling you, regardless of what happens, I, I can't predict the future, obviously, but I'm going to blame the manager before anything. He was fantastic maybe in his first couple of games uh, in the World Cup, but near the end, even then, he started to show his true colors as not being a master tactician. Um, again, I really hope that he does something discernment because if he doesn't, I know that England's going to be put under pressure because the World Cup is coming up, and I know they want to bring that home as well. Yeah, this is their window, man. Um, the, the players they Absolutely. have, they have the next like maybe like two, three, four years ish. I mean, I know they're gonna keep breeding great talent, but you just have to win with the squad you're given now. Um, but yeah, we can. Uh, that's it for Group uh, B. Let's move on to Group C. 
group C uh, kicked off with Austria and North Macedonia. This is where the games really started to get good. This is like one of the first like games where I was like, okay, this is a very, very good game. Um, Austria 3, North Macedonia 1. Uh, the scoreline is not indicative of how the game went, in my opinion. I feel like Austria pulled away at the end. The first half kind of showed that, okay, even though Austria did score, uh, Stefan Leiner, who was my man of the match that game, he was all over the place, and he's a defender. He was all over the damn place the whole game, um, making runs, doing doing everything, scoring goals. Uh, the ball in from uh, Marcel uh, Zabitzer, uh, Leipzig uh, player, was on the dot, literally. All he had to do is just, all Leiner had to do is just touch it with his boot. It just nestled in the back of the net. Great goal. But Macedonia was not going away. I mean, Macedonia was proving that, yeah, we're it's our first time at a major tournament, but we're we're not going to lie down. You know, Goran uh, Pandev, who's like a Macedonian legend. Um, I believe he played 37 for... 37-year-old. 37-year-old yeah, legend. Yeah, he played for uh, Inter Milan under uh, Jose Mourinho. Um, so he's 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 been he's been in in big clubs under big name uh, managers. So he he might not be scared of the moment uh, per se, but yeah, he scored scored a nice goal um, off a little bit of miscommunication between uh, David Alba and the keeper. Um, they were keeper was kind of coming out. I think Alba should have maybe like motioned to him that like he had it or something, and it just didn't happen. He fumbled okay, the ball. Definitely, definitely a case of miscommunication. I did uh, I do remember. Re- watching that moment yeah 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 and he just fumbled the ball and whatever and um he just kind of had opened that but the second half is when austria kind of took over and kind of imposed their will um mikhail grigorich scored in the 70th minute off uh off a nice really nice pass from david alba i'm not gonna lie nice assist from him he made up for that miscue earlier, he just kept getting forward, which is, I mean, what we what we've been seeing from him in Bayern Munich. He loves to make those forward runs, and once he gets forward, he's very dangerous. And he put a really nice ball in. All the other guy had to do is just pretty much tap it in, and it was in the back of the net. And then Marko Arnautovic, who came on as a sub because I guess he was having some health issues, he was 100 percent. Brilliant goal. He just he off a deflection. Um, fell kindly to him, and he just rounded the keeper, opened that, and that kind of ended the game and kind of broke North Macedonian hearts. But uh, North Macedonia is a good team, man. I like their team. I like Pandev. I like uh, Tchaikovsky. Bardi, who is, not many people know this, but he is a Levante player. I only know this because um, we play them a lot in La Liga, and they are they are a good team. Um, he's, he's a very good player, uh, and is Bardi. And uh, their goalkeeper also made some pretty nice saves. So I feel like this team's not going to go away. Maybe they'll kind of pull a Iceland in 2016 and maybe I'll oh, that would, that would be fantastic. That was a great run by Iceland. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, no. You basically said it all. Um, the scoreline is definitely not an indication of how things went. Um, I honestly did not catch the first half. But I did catch most of the second half. And yes, like you said, the, the Austrian team, they did pull away in the second half. But it took them a bit to start to pull away. Like maybe up until the 70th minute, it looked like it was going to be a, like a tie game. It looked like it was, it was going to that. You know, it was counterattack after a counterattack. And it was fantastic between both teams. Um, definitely, definitely took me by surprise seeing that this is North Macedonia's like first ever tournament in their country's history. 
I definitely thought maybe the jitters would have, you know, definitely would have affected them in the way that maybe Turkey did. Um, but no, they, they, they were fantastic. It was definitely one of the more exciting games to watch. It was truly great. And yeah, like you said, um, North Macedonia, if they continue on this run, maybe we're talking about a potential Cinderella team here. Um, exactly. Like, exactly like you mentioned, maybe like Iceland in the Euros. And even then, even after their Cinderella run in the 2016 Euros, uh, Iceland went on to have a pretty impressive World Cup. They did not do that bad. They have a pretty <laughs> solid team now. They're like, there's something to be respected. They're a team to be respected now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they didn't qualify for this tournament, but granted, they did a lot of their work in the past tournament and in the World Cup, like you said. All right, so let's move on to the other, the final group Group C game of the day, which was Netherlands and Ukraine, and this was probably the best game of the tournament so far. Um, Netherlands 3, Ukraine 2. Netherlands had a lot of chances in the beginning. I mean, this game got off to a hot start. Netherlands were controlling the game in the beginning. They had a lot of shots on target. Uh, Ukraine wasn't lying down, though. They were making nice runs in the box. Um, uh, uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum, who we were talking about earlier, uh, kind of got off to a good start. Um, it was also a deflection. Keeper, it was a shot. Keeper saved it. Went right to him, to Wijnaldum. But they, they definitely deserved that goal. 100% deserved the goal because they, they had so many chances in the first half. Scored in the 52nd minute. And then Wout Weghorst uh, in the 58th minute. Uh, so at this point, Netherlands up uh, 2-0 on Ukraine. And they're thinking like, yeah, okay, we, we have this. Um, the coach kind of swaps out some players, which like gave the vibe that he was like relaxed. He brought off Daily Blind as to kind of like, let's like rest him because we got this game wrapped up kind of thing, which was far from that because Andrei Armelinko scored an amazing goal, goal of the tournament. From outside oh, the dude, the yeah. curl that he had on that mm-hmm. thing, watching it slip between the goalkeeper's fingers, um, dude, that was. I remember watching that. That was something. I was I was dumbfounded when I watched that goal. That was definitely they came out of nowhere, and it definitely lit the game on fire. Like you could tell, there was visible tension on the pitch after that goal hit, because Netherlands were up 2-0, and we're talking about a potential comeback in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, after that Yarmolenko goal, literally three minutes later, they scored another goal, and it was 2-2, and that's when these things started to get really, really tense, until eventually Denzel Dumfries, he ended the game. Um, but again, it, Ukraine wasn't lying down, and I, I really liked that, and... I had this thought, I mean, before the game started, I was like, well, this game might surprise some people. It probably will be a very good game. And this group in general might surprise people about how of how competitive in general this group will be. So um, good things to come from Group C, I think. I think we'll... Um, from this group. Absolutely. Um, that basically does it for the Euro so far. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe the upcoming games, maybe. Um, what I do know is tomorrow's schedule, where it's going to be a pretty relaxed schedule today, is going to be Scotland and the Czech Republic. Again, uh, two very average teams. 
not expected to go far in this tournament, but you know, it, you know, these 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 games usually surprise you. They take you by surprise. They could actually end up end like end up being a good game. Uh, we also have Poland and Slovakia, which is Robert Lewandowski's uh, debut with Poland in this tournament after coming off a historic forty-one goal season in the Bundesliga, um, along with the league title. So that's basically it for Euros. Uh, let's let's talk about the NBA for a little bit. Let's talk about the NBA. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive right into it. So we got the conference semifinals uh, going on right now, um, mm-hmm. and essentially we got let's let's go with the the, the Suns first because I I just really want to talk about the Suns and Nuggets. Um, I feel I feel a very very passionate about that series, even though I am not a Suns fan. I'm a diehard Lakers fan, and the Suns did take us out. Um, but at the same time, I definitely don't feel bad. In the beginning, when they took us out, I was like, okay, maybe it's not so much Suns. It's that we're, you know, injured, we're, we're not playing well, we have Kyle Kuzma, you know, those things. Um, but it turns out that the Suns are for real. They are 100% real deal. They are currently up three games to nothing on the Denver Nuggets and MVP Nikola Jokic, who's been doing all he could do. Um, but not having Jamal Murray is really, really hurting him, I think. And the Suns having Devin Booker is also really, really hurting them. Um, he's, been, he's been out of this world, this series. <laughs> Essentially yeah, the this, whole playoffs, but especially this series, he's taken over. He has taken yeah. over. He's really showing that that's that's the difference I feel between an average player and a super superstar player is he's like give me the ball, I'm gonna take over. This is my time. Just give me the ball and get out of my way. I'm gonna perform. And Chris Paul notices it. Chris Paul's been feeding him. His all his teammates have been feeding him. Chris Paul's really doing everything that he's been he's been doing the, his his whole career. He's being career, good with the ball. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's being good with the ball. He's he's scoring here and there when they need it. He's facilitating the offense. Monty Williams is doing an amazing job coaching. Um, yeah, I just feel like the, the Suns are very dominant, and they're my pick to come out of the West. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. They're just for real. Yeah, no, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, I watched a lot of games this a, a lot of games this season, and but again, I was shocked. Like, I did watch a lot of Suns games, but I was shocked to learn that they had the best record in the West. Um, I had no idea they were doing that well. Uh, obviously, first and foremost, I credit Chris Paul because Chris Paul is just one of the best point guards, not currently in the league, but maybe of all time. I, I definitely put him up there as like maybe top five point guards of all time. It's no surprise yeah, that every yeah. exactly. Um, it's no surprise that Chris Paul has increased the winning percentage of every single team he's been on. Mm-hmm. Ever since he's been tra- ever since he's been drafted, even we're talking the Hornets, we're talking the Clippers, we're talking the the Thunder, we're talking the uh, the Suns, the Rockets. Every single team has seen a, pr- a pretty good increase uh, in winning percentage when they have Chris Paul in the squad. He's just a born leader. He he does what he does. He feeds the ball to the superstars. He knows that he's not the type to take over games by himself anymore. So he feeds the superstars. And like you said, they've been lights out. I totally agree with you when you said that maybe when the Lakers got eliminated, maybe it was more mostly the Lakers' fault. 
more like as opposed to the Suns being good, and that was disrespectful to the Suns. The Lakers, they've had injury problems all year. The Lakers have an aging LeBron James. The Lakers have Kyle Kuzma, who is, again, I am dumbfounded to know that this guy plays in one of the best squads in the NBA, honestly. The fact that they traded Brendan Ingram instead of Kyle Kuzma is definitely something that I will never understand. Um, but again, the more and more I'm watching the series, because I've been paying attention to the series between Phoenix and Denver, Phoenix is for real. I definitely think that they might make the NBA Finals. I The only team that I think could maybe stand up to them is the Jazz, because the Jazz have been pretty under the radar as well, and they've been fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. But again, watching this series, seeing that Phoenix is up 3 to nothing on the team that has the current NBA MVP, um, and, and you do mention Jamal Murray and his injury problems where he couldn't play for the rest of the season, I honestly think uh, that even with Jamal Murray, I honestly don't think that Nuggets would win the series. Um, no, they it definitely, no. it definitely would not be three and zero right now. Maybe it would be like a two and one, maybe even a little. You know, maybe they could tie it up next game. But I ultimately, I do not see Denver winning this series, even with a full squad, because just Phoenix is that good. And I'd like to also credit Monty Williams, the coach, who's obviously uh, his, I think it's his first uh, year back in the NBA after the tragedy that happened with his wife a few years ago. Um, his wife had died in an accident when he was a assistant coach on the Pelicans. Um, so it's very nice to see him come back and really bring a winning culture to that team because you know that Devin Booker has been struggling to find a good supporting cast for, these, for the past couple of years. Um, but now that he has it, he's been making the most of it and more. He's been super impressive this game or this 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 playoffs. I mean, yeah, definitely, man. And the winner of that series, which will probably be the Suns, is going to face the winner of the Jazz and the Clippers, which is two uh, one um, at the moment. Uh, the Clippers actually just won must win game uh, yesterday. Uh, 132, 132, 106, and Paul George had probably his best game of the playoffs, which was long, long overdue for him. At finally, overdue, maybe. what's that? Maybe even two years overdue, maybe even more. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He he's he's had to have that game for a while. Um, there's still, I'm still nowhere near confident in the Clippers. Not because I'm a Lakers fan and I hate the Clippers by nature. I just. I'm just not really confident in Paul George. Um, I'm more confident in the Utah Jazz just because of how Donovan Mitchell's been playing. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, Rudy Gobert on defense. He's good. Uh, Royce O'Neal, he's a great perimeter defender. Um, You got guys like Kawhi Leonard. He's going to always do his thing. Um, But, yeah, I'm just really not confident in the Clippers. I think the Jazz, uh, I feel like the Jazz are going to win this. I'd say maybe six, seven, worst case. But the Jazz advanced to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, no, I, um, in episode zero of the podcast, uh, when the, when the series was tied, I believe at 2-2 between the Clippers and the Mavericks, I mentioned that I don't see the Mavericks coming out of that round, even though they, everyone did basically predict that Luka Doncic was going to take over. But again, I said that Kawhi Leonard has that killer mentality mm-hmm. and I don't, I no, I just did not believe that he was going to be eliminated from the playoffs that early, and I turned out to be right. Kawhi Leonard ended up having a monster game in Game Seven. Uh, obviously, that series went to Game Seven, and the Clippers ended up advancing. Um, I'm not sure 
how this series, this current series between the Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Clippers are going to go, only because it all depends on Paul George. You know, Kawhi Leonard is always going to have his games. He's always going to mm-hmm. have that killer mentality. He's always going to have that clutch gene. Even though yeah. um, Joe Ingles uh, pretty much locked him down uh, last game, and Kawhi Leonard didn't have that much of a great game because of him. Um, or I believe that was in game two, I believe. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. That was in game two. Um, mm. But the X factor going forward in the series is Paul George. If Paul George can consistently have great, great games like that, then yes, I do definitely see the Clippers maybe winning a six, maybe winning a seven. Um, but only if Kawhi Leonard stays Kawhi Leonard and Paul George stays the Paul George that we saw during this last game. If he goes back to the pandemic P Paul George that we've been used to seeing for the past two years, maybe, maybe even more, uh, then no, I, I, I see, I definitely see the Jazz, you know, regrouping and advancing. Like I said, it all depends on Paul George. Literally, no one else on this squad can help the Clippers as much as they can more than Paul George. When he's mm-hmm. feeling it, man, that combination between Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, that is just almost unstoppable. Like, we haven't seen a, like a dynamic duo like that since maybe Kyrie Irving and LeBron. But again, Paul George has to be that good for the Clippers to advantage. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, moving on to the Eastern Conference, let's go uh, 76ers and Hawks. Um, Hawks coming off uh, a, nice, uh, a nice series win last series against uh, the New York Knicks, which everyone... I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people did count the Hawks out of that series, and they, they took that kind of chip on their shoulder into the 76ers series. Um, Trey Young, Trae he Young. Just, just loves being the villain. He embraces it so well, um, and he just he can get to his spots. He can do whatever he wants. They won game one. It was, it was a close game. They won game one in Philly, which was kind of shocking. I remember watching that game, and I'm thinking, hmm, what's, what's going to happen in game two? But uh, Joel Embiid... Uh, happened in game two and he's happening he was a monster he was a monster dude he was crazy yeah and he's going to be happening for the rest of the series so i feel like i feel like honestly the the hawks are are, are a good story but they just i don't think they have exactly exactly what it takes to be to beat the 76er team and the 76ers are on a mission i feel like they've been they've been doubted by a lot of people in the east and they kind of want to prove that and Make it to the finals, or I mean, they're gonna they're gonna probably meet the the Nets, which we'll talk about in a minute. But probably, yeah, I expect that. Yeah, but um, but no, I I, I definitely agree. Uh, the Hawks and Knicks series was fantastic. Trey Young is definitely the newest uh, villain in New York, and uh, it was very nice to see the Knicks be in the spotlight again. Uh, because when the Knicks are in the playoffs, when the Knicks are doing well, the NBA generally does better as a squad because of New York's massive market size. And mm. um, Coach of the Year, Tom Thibodeau, he definitely brings a winning mentality to uh, New York. Uh, definitely at the expense of the player's health because that guy definitely overplays uh, his rotations. Oh, yeah. Def- yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> fear for Julius Randle, uh, even though he was non-existent during the series against the Hawks. But I definitely i am afraid for that guy. Uh, because both of us being from Chicago, we know what how Tom Thibodeau works his players, and that guy does not let up easy. No, but uh, going back close. to it, yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, going back to the topic, 
Trey Young is definitely he he loved the spotlight. He was taking on the entire New York crowd. He was talking, you know, trash after the game. You know, during his losses, even he said, you know, try to come do that in the A. You know, obviously referencing Atlanta, and uh, they went, and you know, he put that team on his back, and they definitely, you know, proved people wrong because everyone thought, you know, Knicks had a lot of momentum coming into the playoffs, and you know, the Hawks just shut that down early, and they advanced to the second round. Uh, but I definitely agree with you. Uh, the 76ers are definitely out on a mission. Uh, they they would not hire Doc Rivers, definitely one of the best coaches in NBA history, um, to coach that team. They obviously have Joel Embiid, who was an MVP candidate all year long. Um, they have Ben Simmons, you know, who obviously has his problems with perimeter shooting, but still, mm-hmm. you can't underestimate a guy who is six eight, who can dribble like a point guard. Pass like a point guard, rebound like a forward, you know, all that stuff. He is literally just a jump shot away from being a top three player in the NBA. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, man. If that guy had a jump shot, a consistent jump shot, oh man, the 76ers would be finals contenders. And I'm not saying that they're not now, but if the 76ers do end up somehow miraculously beating the star-studded Nets, and advancing to the finals, I don't think they would win whoever comes out of the West. I don't think they beat whoever comes out of the West. It would be obviously fantastic if they reach the finals. It would be a very like it would, it would be a testament to how Doc Rivers runs his teams, and it would be you know uh, a lot of reward for young players such as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But again, I just don't see them advancing to the finals even. And if they somehow do, I don't see them winning the NBA title. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't see them winning the NBA title. If you want my my honest opinion, um, who I do see winning the NBA title is the team that we're going to talk about next, which are the Brooklyn Nets. Even though um, series is tied two two, Bucks just won today. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fight. It's gonna be a dog fight. I think the Nets might have thought with the way the first two games went that yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be nice and easy. We're just gonna you know steamroll these guys. Uh, they lost Harden in the first 40 seconds of game one, so that obviously yep. didn't help them. And then they lost, well, they could be losing Kyrie. We'll wait on more word. They'll be, they might be losing Kyrie today uh, for a long time. Who knows? But it looks like it was an ankle thing. Um, so hopefully he recovers and gets better. But yeah, the Bucks 107-96. Uh, Giannis. Big game from Giannis today. Uh, last game, it was it was really a combination of him and Chris Middleton, which we haven't seen in a while. Chris Middleton went off last game. Uh, he had, I think, he had like 35 or something like that, 35. Oh, yeah, he was fantastic last game. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something the Bucks are going to need, but I still don't think it's going to be enough to beat the Nets if Kyrie is healthy. Keyword, if. If Kyrie is out for this series. This also uh, goes for James Harden. Right, right, yeah. So if uh, I th- honestly, I think they can still win without James Harden. But if Kyrie and James Harden are out, uh, that's gonna that's, that's 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 probably not gonna happen. Honestly, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, I also agree with you saying that the Brooklyn Nets are probably gonna win the NBA championship. They're just they just have too much star power. Uh, we're not even gonna talk about the main three right now. We're talking about other players. We're talking obviously. Because other than Ky- Ky- Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, you have other great Blake Griffin, who everyone thought was done because of what he was doing in Detroit. He came to Brooklyn and quickly proved that the dude just literally did not want to play in Detroit. He came mm-hmm. to, the, to the Brooklyn Nets, and he showed out. 
We're talking about a guy when he was with when he was with Detroit, he could not like he didn't perform a dunk in game for about a year and a half, maybe almost two calendar years. And we're talking about a guy that was basically known in the beginning of his career for dunking. People criticized him for dunking too much. They thought he was a one trick pony. And then when he went to Detroit, you know, he just couldn't do any of that. So people thought he was finished. He goes to he goes to the Nets. This guy's dunking. This guy's passing. This guy's shooting. This guy is a complete power forward in today's NBA. Yeah, man. He, I think he owes Detroit some money, honestly, for, for everything he did. when He, he was definitely there. swindled Detroit. I, I'm not going to lie to you there. But uh, no, like I, said, like I was saying, uh, definitely I do see Brooklyn coming out of this round. Uh, keyword if, if Kyrie Irving is healthy. healthy. Uh, as of now, we don't know any reports. We don't know how the game, um, how it's going to be affected going forward. Uh, we saw that he sprained his ankle today during today's win, or today's loss, I'm sorry, against the Bucks. And, um, yeah, I, I think Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, obviously with the supporting cast, are going to be enough to beat the, to the Milwaukee Bucks. But if Kyrie is out, I definitely expect Giannis to take over. Because at that point, honestly, all you got to do is put Giannis on Kevin Durant. And I know that Kevin Durant's faster. He's more slim. You know, he can definitely move around. Uh, but again... Putting Giannis on him, Giannis was the MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, not this season, I believe it was last season. So he's definitely yeah. great on the perimeter. Um, nothing, no disrespect against Kevin Durant, but I just think that the Bucks are like a more. They definitely have more chemistry compared to the Brooklyn Nets, who basically bought their team this year. So yeah. if it's just Kevin Durant now, I do believe that Brooklyn's going or that Brooklyn is going to lose the series, maybe in maybe six games, seven games, something like that. But if Kyrie Irving is healthy and if they could potentially get James Harden near the end of the series, I definitely see the Brooklyn Nets not only advancing to the conference uh, finals, but to the NBA finals, where I do think with a fully healthy squad that the Brooklyn Nets are going to win. And there's a lot of things that there's this, I mean, there's one point that people aren't noticing is that they have a pretty important player on the sidelines right now in Spencer Dinwiddie. And I read a report today that Spencer Dinwiddie um, is potentially looking at a return to the Brooklyn Nets if they make the finals. Mm. Which is, you know, something. Yeah, definitely something to look at. But again, this all depends on how far the Brooklyn Nets go. And this also depends on Kyrie, Irving, Kyrie Irving's health. Yeah, okay, well, uh, that does it for kind of like the main topics we're going to talk about. We can just move on to our segment, um, kind of something we saw that was interesting in uh, this past week of sports. Um, I'll go first. Mine's super, uh, it's out of uh, El- country of Algeria, a North African country. Shout out my Algerian brothers. Uh, their uh, national soccer team has um, has gone, let's see. They won 27 games in a row um, after their um, their win against Tunis, uh, I believe 2-0. They won against Tunis um, a couple days ago. And that with that win, they passed Ivory Coast for the longest uh, consecutive uh, matches without a loss in African history. So they are up Definitely top. crazy. Way yeah, too so, good. Yeah, they, they have an amazing team from top to bottom. Um, and then... Next up for them is going to be Brazil and Spain's world record, which is 35 games without a defeat, which is just mind-blowing to even think about. But I don't know if they'll get there. Uh, maybe not, but crazier things have been done. So 
Absolutely. Yeah, that was just just reading about that was super super interesting and uh, well deserved. I mean, they just have a great team. Oh, they definitely do. Uh, definitely, I believe that they are currently Africa's best team, uh, led by Riyad Mahrez, and um, he's he's been fantastic this year for both club and country. Uh, he's fantastic, dude. Um, I honestly don't expect this streak to keep going. Maybe, maybe they could break a Spain and Brazil streak. But when the World Cup comes around, I do not expect Algeria to, um, you know, keep winning. I'm not calling them, you know, a bad team or anything like that. But yes, they are the best team in Africa. But Africa compared to the rest of the continents or the rest of the countries when it comes to um, international football, uh, they're kind of weak in that department. So if they could somehow reach Brazil and Spain's record, that would be fantastic for them. Uh, do they, Do I see this trend going forward, maybe until potentially the World Cup? Definitely not. And I believe mm-hmm. that anyone who knows anything about the World Cup would also agree with me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's, it, it's, it's not going to go, but it's something that I, uh, I like to see. I like to see a North African team, um, fellow you know, Muslim country, uh, Arab country do well, so uh, yeah, definitely like to see that. Yeah, you definitely do. Um, I don't have anything specific for my segment, but it's something that is I'm going to mention that I am positive this is going to be brought up again in the weeks to come, especially leading up to the NFL season. Um, the Aaron Rodgers situation, man, this is uh, this has been going on for a bit. No one really understands what's going on in uh, Green Bay, but uh, Aaron Rodgers, obviously the best quarterback in. Um, in, in, in Packers history, and I say that as a personal opinion, of course. Uh, a lot of people could say Brett Favre, a lot of other people could say anything else, but I definitely think it's Aaron Rodgers compared to, you know, when we look at stats, uh, when you look at, you know, what he's done for the for the team, he's mm. definitely their best quarterback. And I know oh, yeah. all that has only translated to one Super Bowl title, but still, winning a Super Bowl in today's league is pretty tough. It's, it's, a, it's a year-long commitment, and for him to do it a couple seasons back is is crazy, but uh, obviously anyone who knows sports or anything about the NFL knows that by now Aaron Rodgers has basically demanded a trade, and uh, recently uh, the Packers general manager was at a press conference, and when he was asked about Aaron Rodgers, he called him a complicated fella, <laughs> hmm. which is I, I found pretty funny honestly because uh, it basically understates how crazy this whole situation is. At first, um, Aaron Rodgers was upset because of, uh, obviously, the team not getting him any help in free agency, the team drafting another quarterback in Jordan Love. Um, He basically feels alone out there on the pitch, or on the field, I mean. And um, it's just pretty crazy to think about that he could potentially move to a new team after all all these years. Um, Everyone knows by now that he wants out. But, um, yeah. you know, there have been discussions, there have been discussions, you know, initial discussions with the Denver Broncos, the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, where do you think he's going? Do you have any, you know, um, I honestly, I honestly, I honestly don't have any guesses. I think that, um, I don't know. I think that you think he, he stays. Do you think he yeah. plays in, in Green Bay this season? I was going to say, I think he stays because just because I feel like the Packers are going to wisen up. You know they they show it at least. I mean that's their franchise. I mean yeah he's older, but he literally is the franchise and he still performs. We saw it last year in the playoffs. He still performed. He can still perform at a high level. So yeah. Uh, long story short, I think the Packers will kind of come to their senses and 
and uh, keep him, do whatever he they can to cater to his demands. So, yeah. 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 No, I definitely understand that. Um. Well, I mean, that's that's basically it. That's gonna do it for episode one of the deep end with Hamed and Mo. I was your co-host Hamed, and this was Mo. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, be on the lookout for episode two. And again, if you guys would like to request episode zero to be uploaded, please let us know in the comments. Please leave us a review. Any suggestions that you'd like, you know, uh, the floor is yours. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for listening and taking the time out. And we'll see you guys next week.